Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Um, thank you so much for having us here this morning. Um, we have been here since Monday, and um, it has just been so fun. We did we get we got to go to the softball game and meet a lot of the people from your church there, and it's just been. Norris and I really enjoyed getting to know your church family and just the joy and the love that you guys have for this community and for Marquette, and it's just been a joy to um, to be a part of that this week. So thank you for including us in all of that. Um, as Pastor said, we are Norris and Angela Ham, and we have two little ones who are super excited, and they're back in um, the Friday school class, the Sunday school class. Um, sorry. In Egypt, church is on Friday, so it's Friday school. Um, and so, um, yes, okay, I'm going to focus. All right, center. Um, so Norris and I um, have been living and working in Egypt since 2008. Um, we, um, we started out working at the American International School in Egypt, and um, we thought we were going for one year, and we got there, and the Lord said, ha-ha, you're going to stay here. Um, and we have been there. We came home for about three years, from 2013 to 2016. Norris attended law school at Notre Dame, and we were able to walk his dad through the last um, couple years of his life. And it was just such a blessing to be able to be a part of that. And then the Lord called us back to Egypt. Um, he played a joke on us. We thought we left. We named our son Cairo as a blessing from our time in Egypt, and then he took us back again. Um, and so we have been there since 2017, and we currently are doing something called Heart Help Home, and um, it is a way that we are serving refugees who come into Egypt. There are refugees that come from Sudan, from South Sudan, from Eritrea, and just all over the northern part of Africa. They come into Egypt in hopes to be um, sent somewhere in um, Australia or Europe or America or Canada, and they come into Egypt with absolutely nothing, and we try to meet them there um, with food, and we also have started providing a barista training where we are working with the people coming in to give them an actual job in hopes that if they are resettled somewhere, they have the ability to get a job, um, and even if they are not resettled, in Egypt they are able to move out of just working in a home and cleaning for someone or cooking for someone, and they're able to move into an actual position where they can have a little bit more income and support their families. Um, Norse is going to share a little bit more about what we do and talk a little bit more, and I'm going to sit down. Uh, don't sit down too quickly because uh, you make me look good up here. So, um, yeah, I figured you guys are used to pretty corny jokes up here. Um, so I think we're, we're okay. Uh, we're going to be fine. We're going to enjoy each other's company this morning. Um, as my wife uh, said, uh, we do work with refugees. We do Heart Help Home. I wanted to give you some scriptural reference for Heart Help Home because you're thinking, why in the world are you in Egypt working with refugees and calling something Heart Help Home? And so I wanted to give you a scriptural reference. So if you have your biblical text with you, whether it's on your phone, whether it's on uh, uh, some sort of a, an iPad device, or whether you have it actually in the physical word of God, let's open that up to Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19, and I'm going to tell you guys that Egypt is not always the bad guy. 
you, I might be shouting. I'm going to leave it up to the, the guys in the back to make sure that no one's ears are blown out here. I get excited, so I'm sorry. Egypt is not always the bad guy. Oftentimes we see Egypt being like the Nazis in an Indiana Jones movie, right? We see that. We see of oh, they, they enslaved the Hebrews, okay? They did this. They did this. They were worshiping this. They had sorcerers that combated against God. They're evil. And Isaiah 19 starts with, and, and that, that little, little heading, if you will, over your Bible, maybe, maybe over your Bible, certainly over my scripture in 19, says a proclamation against Egypt. Do you guys see that? And the first, wow. Do you guys see that? I don't know. Yeah. And the first 18 verses are like, here's, here's Egypt as the enemy. But then you get to verse 18. And 18 just flips the script. We're talking fifth sense script flipping here, right? You didn't see it coming, and then boom, it's in your face. And you recognize that Egypt was the bad guy, but God is redeeming Egypt for him. He is redeeming Egypt. He's calling them his people. He's saying, you're going to be a blessing in the midst of the land. You're going to have an altar in your land. You're going to have a border, or sorry, a pillar at the border, and you will speak the language of Canaan. You will speak the language of God. God will send you a savior, a mighty one, a deliverer, and he will be your God and he will strike you. He will strike you and heal you. And you will cry out because of your oppressors. You will cry out and the Lord will come and rescue you. That should get some people excited about Egypt. So when you think finish line... I want to give you that finish line. When you think, why are you in Egypt? I'm going to give you the finish line. Why do you come and ask people to be a part of your team? I'm going to give you the finish line. I finished the only marathon I've ever run because I knew my wife would run it and I knew she would just call me out every day of my life. She finished it and the only reason I finished it was because I didn't want to be at family dinners with her. Her saying, you didn't finish it and I did. I didn't. She's not that type of person. I am, but nonetheless... When we get to uh, verse 24 in chapter 19, in that day Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people. What? They're, they're the Nazis. They're the bad guys. The Russians in like movies in the 80s and the 90s. No. God has a heart for Egypt. He has a passion to see those people called to him. He wants to call them by his name. He wants to send them a savior, a mighty one, a deliverer who will restore them and redeem them and heal them and bring them into the kingdom of God where they will be a blessing in the midst of a land, in a conflict-strewed land. There's a highway between Egypt and Assyria and they will walk on there and they will worship together. That should get you excited about Egypt. I hope you are. When we ask, uh, we asked Pastor Jeff if we could come, he was so gracious. He said, yeah, please, you're welcome. Come on in. We never expected a congregation that was excited for the Lord. We've been around. We've made calls. There's a lot of people that say no, no, no. Pastor Jeff said yes. Come on, challenge us. Let's, let's do this thing. And so I hope that in the, next, in the time that we have remaining, I can challenge you with something from the word that's been challenging to me. I heard someone say, you know what a pastor struggles with when, uh, based on how much he preaches about it? Uh, I, I, I'm, I struggle with thinking that Jesus is our living 
Savior. I want to tell you, he is alive. We don't sing it just on Easter. No, no. He's alive. Right now, here. We welcome you here, Jesus. We welcome you here, King Jesus. My family is, is from this area. I had so many wonderful connections that were just made outside at our table. Um, people knew my parents before I did. Uh, Bob and Marilyn Ham. Marilyn McConnell was her name. Marilyn is related to Lori Peck. Uh, their sisters, uh, you know the Janowskis, Kurt and Shelly Janowski. Shelly is also a sister. We could go through the number of sisters that she has, but that's a lot. Um, and I don't want to do that. She's the oldest of t- uh, 15 children. Um, we're blessed to have uh, my Uncle Jim here this morning uh, listening to me speak. Jim, thanks for being here. Thanks for welcoming us here as well. Um, I'd like you to understand that God uses Egypt to fulfill his prophetic vision for the land. Matthew 2. What, what does Egypt become in Matthew 2? Anyone? Probably not. A refuge. Joseph is told in a dream to take the mother, take the child, and flee to where? Yeah, it was an easy one. We're going to try to get flee to where? Egypt, that's right. That's where protection comes for the Holy Family. Jesus, the Savior of the world, is taking protection, taking refuge in Egypt. Egypt has seen the Son of God. That's, that's incredible stuff. That's incredible stuff. If we go to Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 22, I love Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is like my favorite book in the Bible, and you're like, what? I just like saying the name, okay? Deuteronomy is really great. And if you're on the PowerPoint, you can just flip through those. They have nothing to do with the message. They're just for people who are visual people. I wanted them to have some focus. But you've got, you've got defense and you've got diplomacy and you've got development, but you got Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 22, absolutely shows us the productive capability of Egypt. You went, God is speaking to the Israelites, speaking to Jacob's descendants. You came to Egypt with 70 persons. And you left Egypt. And you had so many people They could not be numbered. Egypt multiplies God's people. Egypt protects God's son. Egypt multiplies God's people. If you can't get excited about Egypt's role in the kingdom of God, come on. Come with me. Get excited. Okay? Get excited. This is so awesome that we can read through this. And finally, I wanted to share one more thing. God uses Egypt to provide for his people. If you're in Exodus, I almost named my son Exodus. I thought, <laughs> little X, and then as soon as I said little X, Angela said, no, no way. <laughs> Couldn't call him dust. No, you can't call him dust either. We get to Exodus 12, 35 through 37. The Lord had given the people favor in the eyes of Egyptians. The Lord had given the people Favor in the eyes of Egyptians, so that when, and again, Moses is asked, and Pharaoh's finally relented, you know, after all these plagues, and we could go through them, but we'd be here for years. They're finally leaving all of the labor, and so Egyptians are like, oh goodness, we're going to have to now, like, buckle up, you know, gird our loins, and let's, you know, start making bricks. We're going to have to do that. God gives the, uh, the Hebrews favor in the eyes of Egyptians, and so he says, go and ask them. Go and ask the Egyptians for what? Articles of silver, gold, and clothing. 
they plundered the Egyptians. Not by force, not by conquering them. No, no, no. They just went up. They went to their neighbors and they said, hey, can we have some silver and some gold? And they were like, yep, we know it. God provides for his people. And all you have to do is ask. Hopefully you just just let that sit in your heart right now. Let that sit there, that God provides for his people. All you have to do is ask. I don't know if you'll believe it with me, but that's not even my message. I just got excited about Egypt. Um, I'm a lawyer and a teacher, so someone will have to just kick me off the stage. Um, Goodness. Here we go. First Peter, let's go there. We've been in Deuteronomy, we've been in Exodus, we've been in Matthew, we've been in Isaiah. We're just going to skip around because I need you to hear all of this and I'm going to do it in about 15 more minutes. I'm going to, Angela's going to like tip her hat or something at me, just like, hey, it's time to go. Here we go. We're in First Peter chapter 2. Let's get excited about First Peter chapter 2. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow, thereby, if indeed you have tasted, that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. If you don't read Isaiah 19, 18 through 25, and 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, you don't see the symbiotic relationship here in the text. You do not see how the love of God was expressed for Egypt in Isaiah, and the love of God is beckoning Egyptians to come from darkness into light right now. He is. That's why we're there. I don't want to put ourselves in a posture to receive this morning. Would you bow with me as we continue talking about Second Peter? Father, we lay aside all malice. We lay aside all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy and all evil speaking. I confess, Father God, I confess that I allow these sinful thoughts and actions to permeate everything that comes out of my mouth and taint everything which comes into my body. Father, you are gracious and you are loving and you are merciful and you are kind. We proclaim now, Father, that your word is pure, rich in everything, abounding in truth and hope and in love. By your grace and through the power of Christ Jesus, our Savior, we ask that you place us this morning into a position to receive the fullness of your word. Let us leave here changed. Amen. Jesus is our living stone. 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus is our living stone. Jesus is our living stone. He's alive. I, I had this kind of revelation, if you will, a month ago as I was in worship. I was in a worship service and I was like this. I thought, well, if Jesus is alive and I'm coming here and I'm like this, 
Am I, do I really believe that Jesus is alive from worshiping him like this? I don't. I, do I really believe he's alive and breathing and ready to do what I ask in the name of him who sits at the right hand of the Father, who serves as a permanent intermediary for us, who intercedes on our behalf? Am I viewing him as a living Savior or am I just viewing this as routine? Oh, I don't like that song. Well, that key's too high for me. Okay? I, I've come to church like this. I pray that today, if you came to church like this, I pray that you leave church like this. That you're ready to hear about your living Savior who loves you, who answers your prayers. My son yesterday said, Dad, I want to pray. We were getting ready for bed. I said, oh, okay, that's, that's great. I, I was like, why, why do you want to pray? He's like, well, because Jesus always answers me. I was like, whoa, whoa. Let me give you a couple things to ask for, okay, little buddy? This is incredible. My goodness. Jesus is our living stone, our God, our Savior, our King. He's alive. That'll change your worship posture. That'll change your prayer time. You pray to a risen King. You pray to a God who hears, who listens. You you pray to a God who sits at the right hand and is a mediator, an intercessor for us. So we were sitting on Lake Superior. We actually swam in Lake Superior yesterday and today, uh, yesterday and the day before. uh, my feet are still on me, but I don't feel them. I'm actually walking on blocks. Um, and we're exploring the rocks, and we're digging in the tide pools and in, in, in the little, little puddles that are between the rocks. And, and we find all these rocks that are, that are beautiful in the water. They've got all shapes and colors and sizes and textures and stripes and, and lines and designs. They were beautiful. And then we picked them up and we put them on the boulders. And we said, okay, we'll leave them here and we'll come and pick them up as we're, we're done. And we'll come back as we're, as we're coming back to our car. We'll pick them up on the way. And when we got back to them, they, they weren't as pretty. What, what, what happened? They were so pretty in the water. And then we put them on the rocks and they're like, what? It's not, I, don't, I don't like these anymore. And, and my son and daughter are like, can we bring these home? And I'm like, I'm not carrying that lump. I'm not doing it. It's not beautiful. It's gross. It's ugly. It doesn't sparkle. The orange isn't orange anymore. The sparkle is just like a gray clump of matter. Why is it even there? It's gross. Let's just chuck it back. Let's see how far we... As soon as I told my son, let's see how far we can chuck it. He was like, yeah, I don't want these rocks anymore. I'm just chucking it out. With the sun behind a cloud, these rocks had lost their shimmer, taking on the form of mashed potatoes. Each precious rock we had carefully placed was less precious, and instead of placing them back in our pockets, we threw them. And the kids were so eager to show just a couple of them to my aunt and uncle, my uncle Kurt and my aunt Shelley. It's just eager. And so they got home and they looked at them and like, hold on. And they ran to the kitchen sink and ran them underwater just so they could bring them back and show how cool they were. Okay, we have this as part of our faith. Sadly, we have this as part of our faith. That for some reason, we don't think that Christ's blood makes us beautiful. Boom. Done. And in Egypt, they sacrifice on altars of blood. Believing that that blood of that animal can cover their sins. And the problem is, it's only temporary. They have beauty only for a moment. They think, oh, we've got salvation for our sins. No, that blood dried up. That blood dried up. It's seeped into the rock. It's no longer there. It's washed off. We wash it clean. And we're going to get ready for the next sacrifice and the next sacrifice and the next sacrifice. That story with my kids reminded me of, of Egyptians. 
once they've been made beautiful for a time after their sacrifice, after the blood dries, they're back to the dull shapes, colors, and textures that they were. Earthly stones are acted upon. You can stack them, you can throw them, you can carve them, you can shape them, you can shine them, you can admire them, you can use them, but they only have the power that you give to them. But Jesus is our living stone. He's entirely different. He's chosen. He's precious. He's the cornerstone. He's capable of acting upon you. He's capable of acting in us and through us and for us. Jesus continually washes our sins that we may be white as snow, that we have righteousness before the Father, that we are reconciled to the Father through the new covenant shed for us that we just took part in here on this stage. Jesus is making us new. Let's use that active participle. Jesus is making us new. We are being built into a spiritual house for him, a temple far greater than any built with stones. Now, I know, I think every one of you could preach a sermon off of that little vignette that I told you about my kids with the stones and loving in, then they lose their sparkle. I'm sure everyone here could, could, could bring that up to some sort of a sermon. I'm going to tell you what I want you to take away from this morning. My daughter, who is absolutely amazing, who has these, like, she's off in the distance somewhere in life. She loves life. Everything is beautiful. And then she comes to, like, this profound statement of faith. And she says, Dad, can we bring these rocks to Egypt? And I thought, that's not a profound statement of faith. That's weird. I'm not bringing rocks to Egypt. I get 50 pounds in my luggage. I'm not bringing gray clumps of matter to Egypt. There's rocks enough in Egypt. But in my daughter's mind, these stones meant something to her. There was a story in these stones. They were beautiful in her mind. It didn't matter if there was water or sun. The rocks themselves to my daughter had become beautiful. She wanted to bring this beauty with her to Egypt. Rocks made beautiful because they were created by the Father. Rocks cleansed in the baptismal waters of Lake Superior. The song comes to mind. Jesus loves those little children and all those children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. You see, Jesus views us all as living stones. Jesus, our living stone, views us as precious living stones that are being built up into a spiritual house to honor him, to make sacrifices for him, and not physical sacrifices. No, no, no. We're not putting a goat's or a, a ram's horn into a, a slaughter block. I've seen it. We're not taking it across the neck with a knife and shedding its blood. No, 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 no. That's not the sacrifice that God desires. That's not the sacrifice that Jesus Christ demands from us. No, no, no. He wants spiritual sacrifices from us. And what is a spiritual sacrifice? You can look in Hebrews 13, 13 through 16. It defines spiritual sacrifices. Go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, seeking the city which is to come and not our earthly dwelling. Continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, doing good and sharing with others for which sacrifices God is well pleased. That's a spiritual sacrifice, sharing with others, doing good, continually offering sacrifices of praise, not in a position of a dead stone, but a position of a stone that is being built into a living spiritual house for the Lord. 
That's what we are called to do. Offering those sacrifices, not slaughtering the blood of animals on a dead stone that has no power except for the power that is given to it by humans. We, in fact, have a living stone who acts upon us, who gives us power in his name to bring the gospel to every single tribe, nation, and tongue. That's the power of Christ Jesus, our living stone. I promise you, Pastor Jeff, I'll, I'll finish up here. I know people like lunch. Egypt has many rocks. In fact, I would suggest that Egypt may be the rockiest nation of the world. What's Egypt's favorite movie? Rocky. <laughs> Egypt's favorite music? Rock and roll. Egypt's favorite actor? The Rock. It's people throughout thousands and thousands of years. And they'll, they'll brag about this. They'll say, look at what we've done. We've put stone upon stone. We've carved absolutely everything out of it that you can possibly imagine. We have graven images. We have idols. We have piled stone upon stone to make greater and greater tombs. Not to make greater and greater life. To make greater and greater tombs. My tomb's not big enough. My tomb's not tall enough. We're going to put stone upon stone and bury us under it. And we're going to say, yay, look what we've done. But it's all death. It's all a cult to death. They've made stones into altars and pillars of death. Get this, when the Hebrew slaves made the golden calf, when Moses was up the mountain, this was not a new design. This was a God of Egypt that they just refashioned. You think society's changing really quickly right now? Understand, Moses, Moses, through God, brought his people out of Egypt, and then he's up on a mountaintop for a couple of days, and they made a new God. Society is not changing that fast. They made a golden calf because they didn't know what to do with themselves. But Jesus is our living stone. He is the God who saves. Not the God who saved. He's the God who saves now to the uttermost. He desires mercy and not sacrifice. Because he made the final atoning sacrifice for us once and for all. No more blood is needed. For the blood of Christ was shed for all. And we don't bring life to Jesus. Jesus, he brings life to us through his death. We don't sacrifice living animals to God. No, no, no. Jesus, our living sacrifice, is an eternal rock upon which our hope is built who gives us life through his blood, through his death, resurrection. We have life. I want to follow up on what Pastor Jeff said. If you have not accepted Jesus as the author, the perfecter of your faith, if you have not accepted Jesus as the creator, if you have not accepted Jesus as the originator of absolutely everything, if you have not accepted Jesus as the living God who we bring sacrifices of praise to on a daily basis, if you don't know the love of Jesus, would you please seek out Pastor Jeff or an elder in this church today? Don't let another day go by. Don't go back into the position of a dead stone. If your heart has been opened, pursue it. God is laying it on you. I promise you, the Holy Spirit moves in that way. The Holy Spirit brings dead people to life. He brings people from darkness into light. He does it for Egypt. He does it for refugees. He does it for us here in Marquette. He does it. 
and he's doing it. It's not that he did it, it's, it's that he's doing it now. He's our living, breathing Savior. He's here. We welcome you here, King Jesus. I know we have a closing song. Um, we want to sing out some prophecy over Egypt, again, from Isaiah 19. Um, but Pastor Jeff, I don't know if you wanted to say anything. Do you have anything before we go to the closing song? Okay. Um, here's what I'd like to do. My wife and I have a table out there. It's by this beautiful compassion table. Um, and uh, we're trying to get back to Egypt. Um, we'd love for you to stop by and give us your name, a number, and an email. We'd love to connect with you about bringing dead stones to life in Egypt. And if God has placed that on your heart today, if you've been saying, you know what, I've been worshiping a dead God, I've been worshiping an idol, I've been worshiping a rock, but I want to bring life to the world through Christ Jesus, then would you come back and talk with us? Would you, would you share some communication information with us? We'd love to get to know you more and to tell you how you can be a part of our team. Yes, ma'am. The Lord is saying, my child, do you know how much I love you? My hand is extended to you today. My mercy and my grace is extended to you today. You may be thinking, well, I need to stop doing this. I need to clean up my life. I need to do this or that. But my child, you don't need to do anything. Just come to me today. I'm calling you today. Today will be a turning point in your life. Today will be um, the beginning of a life that you've never experienced before. And so he's calling you unto himself. And he's also speaking to those who know him but maybe are walking the fence who haven't fully committed to him he's saying choose this day who you will serve do not be divided serve me fully love me with all your heart mind and soul today please please do not leave this place until you know that you are right with the lord that you have received him as your lord and savior he does not want you to harden your heart he says every time you turn away every time you you do not respond to my calling i'm back beckoning you. I'm beckoning you. Every time you do not respond to my calling, your heart turns a little harder. Please do not leave until you have met your Savior. Yeah, Father God, we come before you today. Um, we're going to join as a spiritual house being built up for you to bring you the praise that is on our lips, to bring a sacrifice of praise to you. And for some of us, it's a sacrifice, an incredible sacrifice to, to bring praise out of us. But you're the one who calls water out of stone. You're the one who moves the stone of death that we may have life.
Father God, I second what was prayed, Lord. If there is someone here that wants you in their life to be remade in your image, to to understand what it means to have salvation done, bought, paid for, it's done. Lord, would you give them the courage and the confidence, the strength, the boldness to run from darkness to light today? Would you give them the the hope that comes from coming and and, and just giving of themselves, Lord? Take all pretenses away. No, it doesn't matter how it looks. Salvation is beautiful. And all the angels will celebrate around one person who says, yes, Lord, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I give myself to you. Do your will in me. Father God, We pray that over this congregation. Thank you for their living faith. Thank you that they are being built up as living stones for a spiritual house to share with others, to do good, to sing your praises eternally. And Father God, I pray for that person that you've been nudging here this morning. Continue to nudge them. Don't release them. Stay present. Stay by their side. Draw near to them. Everywhere they turn, let them see your glory. On this beautiful day, Lord, take creation and bring salvation. On this beautiful day where the water is crystal clear and the trees are are, are almost singing and the sun is up there, Lord, that is your beauty. We ask for that beauty to just fill the hearts of individuals who do not know you, that they may witness that your creation may testify to you, Father God, and your ability to create beauty from ashes and from darkness bring light and hope and love. Yeah, Father God, we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.